I want to add my thanks also for the for the Michigan crew. Thank you all for serving us so well this week. We uh, are grateful for your labors and your heart and the way you've served Jesus through serving us. So we really, really, really appreciate it. So thank you very much. We've been in a series of sermons this summer that we've, inco- we've titled Wise Up, and it's a series of studies in Proverbs. Uh, we're looking at various themes. We've looked at words and work and all kinds of different things. Last week we took a, we took a look at... Uh, dejection and downhearted and and being cast down and heartache and things like that. And, and this morning we're kind of looking at the opposite extreme. If heartache is where we're very dejected and sullen, uh, anger is much different. It is a much more aggressive, violent form of an emotion. Um, first of all, this morning, before we dive right into the Proverbs, I want to talk to us just a little bit about what anger is and sort of put it in its larger biblical context before we dive specifically into the Proverbs this morning. And I want to say this up front. Anger is great and good. Anger as an emotion is a very good emotion. It is in God's heart. God is angry. It is in Jesus' heart. Jesus, as we see over and over in the Gospels, gets angry. In fact, the absence of of anger in some things is a sin in itself. To not be angry at certain times is a sin. And to be angry at other times is a sin. In fact, it's part of being made in the image of God. If we serve a God who describes himself in Exodus 34 when he reveals his glory to Moses, and he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger... When Moses asks God to show him his glory, the thing that God says to him is, I'm slow to anger. Being slow to anger is part of the glory of God. And if we are made in God's image, then we should expect to be made with the capacities for anger. Paul Tripp, in his very good and helpful book, Broken Down House, in a chapter called Be Good and Angry, writes the following. In a world that has been terribly broken by sin, in a world where nothing operates as was intended, and in a world where evil often has more immediate influences than good, it would be wrong not to be angry. How can you consider the surge of AIDS and not be angry? How can you look at poverty in in the face and not be angry? How could you look at the political corruption that makes government more a place for personal power than societal protection and not be angry? How can you look at the rate of divorce in Western culture or the prevalence of domestic violence and not be angry? How can you consider the huge numbers of homeless people who wander our streets and not be angry? How can you consider the confusion of gender identity and sexual impropriety that is everywhere around us and not be angry? How can you consider the state of our educational institutions, the state of art and culture, the state of popular entertainment and not be angry? How can you look at the state of the church, which seems so often to have lost its way, and not be angry? How can you ever look at your own life, your own family, and your own circle of friends and how sin twists and complicates every location and relationship in your life and not be angry? How can you consider disease, war, and environmental distress and not be angry? How can you look at the fact that nothing in the world is exactly as it was meant to be and not be angry? You simply cannot look at the world with the eyes of truth and with a heart committed to what God says is right and good and not be angry at the state of things in this fallen world. In a fallen world, anger is a good thing. In a fallen world, anger is a constructive thing. 
In a fallen world, anger is an essential thing. That is, if the anger is about something bigger than you. And that's the issue, isn't it? This is where we cross over from righteous anger to sinful anger. When the anger and the angry emotion that it represents and the angry behavior that flows out from it, when it becomes not so much about something bigger than us, but when it becomes something about us. And it's that kind of anger, the anger that flows intensely, not so much because God's desires aren't being fulfilled, but because our desires aren't, that is addressed in the book of Proverbs. So this morning we want to look at the subject of sinful anger under three headings. The headings are the pathway to sinful anger, the penalty for sinful anger, and finally the power of sinful anger. So we're going to look at the pathway, the penalty, and the power for it. So first of all, let's take a look at the pathway. In other words, how, does the, how do the Proverbs tell us we become sinfully angry? What are some of the dispositions, behaviors, motives, views of ourself that influence a pathway into sinful anger? I want to mention three things. This is how the Proverbs describe how we become sinfully angry. First of all, we have a lofty view of ourselves and our own importance. Would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 13 and look at verse 10? Proverbs 13 and verse 10. Where we read, By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. You know, it wasn't it was it was a somewhat difficult study this week trying to look at anger and all that the proverbs say about it because in order to do a pretty thorough study, you have to look not only at where anger shows up, but also where contention and strife and quarreling and fighting and all those kinds of things show up. And this is one of those verses in Proverbs 13:10 which says by insolence, that is by an unwillingness to be instructed by a hard-heartedness and a stubbornness comes nothing but strife, difficulty, anger, quarreling, fighting. But with those who take advice is wisdom. So taking advice is the opposite of being insolent, which is why I say the pathway into anger begins with an exalted view of yourself. It begins with a view of yourself that says, I am above the need to be instructed by anyone, especially God. If you have an unteachable spirit that lacks humility and a willingness to listen to others and receive their input, you will likely be an angry person. Because you have a disposition that is above others and that is marked by entitlement and a certain sense of your rights and other people's obligation to serve those rights, you will be tempted to anger quite often. If you believe that your life is all about you, you will be more angry because your sovereignty is going to be violated multiple times a day. So a lofty view of ourselves, a view of ourselves that is too high, will lead to sinful anger. A second pathway into sinful anger is a love of sin. Would you look at Proverbs 17, verse 19? Proverbs 17, 19, where we read, 
Whoever loves transgression loves strife. He who makes his door high seeks destruction. So the proverb says, okay, look at strife. Here's strife. Now look behind it. What's motivating strife is a love of something. And it's a love of transgression. It's a love of sin. Also, you don't have to turn there, but let me just read for you Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12. It says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. So what you love will channel your anger, will control your anger, will harness your anger. If you love yourself and your way first and foremost and what you want to do rather than what God desires for you, you will pursue sinful anger. If your feelings are ultimate, your anger will be released instead of controlled. So if you have a lofty view of yourself and your own importance and a love of sin in your heart, not a love for righteousness, not a love for God's ways, but a love for your ways, you will be sinful, more sinfully angry. Finally, not only a lofty view of yourself and a love of sin, but a lack of self-control. Proverbs 25. Would you go there, please? Proverbs 25. And verse 28, where we read, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And then Proverbs 29, verse 11, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. If we don't let... Every, if we just let everything out and don't exercise restraint over our feelings, we will be angry. Sinfully angry people lack self-control. They give full vent to their spirit and hold nothing back. If they want to say something, they say it. If they feel something, they express it. If they want to do something, they do it. And all of these things are related. A lofty view of yourself and your own importance will lead you to believe that you are above anybody telling you what to do, which in turn leads you to commit yourself to your own way, which in turn leads you to act out in ways that you want to act. All of this kind of creates this crazy chaos of sinful anger. It all comes down to a lack of humility, a lack of understanding of who we are and what we're here to do. That's the pathway to sinful anger, a lofty view of yourself, a love of sin, and a lack of self-control. And when we come to the power to overcome sinful anger, we're going to attack those three things. We're going to see how the gospel and the work of Christ influences those three areas to humble us, to take us out of our love affair with sin in our own way, and to to give us self-control. Secondly, let's move in to talk briefly about the penalty of sinful anger. We've talked about the pathway. Now let's look at the penalty. Proverbs has a lot to say about what happens in our lives and the destruction that comes from our giving full vent to our spirit, from our becoming sinfully angry. And it's basically summarized in two ways. If you are, if you are sinfully angry as a result of having a lofty view of yourself, a love of sin, a lack of self-control, then the penalty will be damage to yourself and damage to your relationships. This shows up again and again in Proverbs, and I want us to take us to a few of them. Start, first of all, let's turn to Proverbs 14 
and look at one of the texts that Brandon read for us, Proverbs 14, verse 17. These next three texts are going to deal with the way sinful anger hurts us individually. Proverbs 14 and verse 17 says, A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. So if we are sinfully angry, we are going to do things that we are going to look back on and regret. We are going to do things that we're going to look back on and say, that was so dumb. Do you know why? Because that was dumb. That's why. You say, I felt like such a fool because you were a fool. You were a fool. That's what the text tells us. A man of quick temper acts foolishly. So we will behave in ways that we will really regret. We will bring pains to our conscience. We will irritate our peace. We will do things that we regret if we don't get control of our anger. Also, Proverbs 14.29, same chapter, go down just a little ways. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Notice that. I thought that was very interesting in reading that this week. Whoever is slow to anger, that is, that's what the Bible wants for us. Not no anger, not blow anger, but slow anger. That's righteousness. Slow to anger. Not no anger. Having no anger is sinful. Not being angry like we said about certain things. But having blow anger, where you just give full vent to your feelings, is also sinful and destructive. What the Bible wants is slow anger. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. So, step back from that. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. So what about the person that doesn't have slow to anger? Do they have great understanding? No. In fact, the text says he who has a hasty temper, that's the opposite of slow to anger, exalts folly. So what does this mean? I think what it's saying is hasty-tempered people are irrational people. They are unable to think. Your anger psychologically damages you. It will render you uncritical, unable to think rationally and understand. Instead, you will exalt folly. Not only will you do foolish things, you will think foolishly. It's going to affect your behavior, and it's going to affect your own self-perception and understanding of things. I mean, we've seen this over and over again, haven't we? Try to deal with an angry person, and their perception of reality and what's going on is so clouded. Which is why Proverbs tells us that we don't find wisdom with angry people. We'll see that in just a minute. So if you're sinfully angry, you're going to do damage to yourself in behaving foolishly and in behaving irrationally and thinking irrationally. A hasty temper is going to affect your ability to think clearly and live wisely. And then finally, Proverbs 19.19, let me just read it to you. A man of great wrath, a man of great wrath 
will pay the penalty. If you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. What an interesting proverb. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty. If you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. What's this getting at? I think it's getting at the idea that anger has an addictive quality to it. Sinful, sinfully angry people who give full vent to their spirit again and again will find it harder and harder to stop that behavior. They will sow to that work of the flesh again and again and again and again to the point where Proverbs has to say, don't even bother messing with them. If you deliver them, if you're gracious enough to go to them and rescue them from their foolish behavior that was a result of their angry expression, and if you go to them again and try to talk sense into them, you're only going to have to do it again because they're going to do it again. And again, and again, and again. You see the danger of anger. You see the danger of unchecked, uncontrolled, sinful anger. It's devastating to you. Your ability to to think, your ability to behave wisely, and your ability to control yourself. So you will hurt yourself. If, If we don't learn how to control this, Harness this. It's a powerful emotion. God meant it to be powerful. That's why he gave it to us. If we don't learn how to control this, it will be devastating to ourselves. It will also devastate our relationships with others. And we'll see three texts here in that regard too. First of all, Proverbs fifteen eighteen. Look there. Proverbs fifteen eighteen. A hot-tempered man... Stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. The damage that our anger will do will not only affect us, but will also affect others that come into contact with us. Our lives will be characterized, according to Proverbs fifteen eighteen, by fighting, by contention. By strife and difficulty. The relationships that we have in our, in our marriage, with our children, with our friends, in our church, in our workplaces, wherever we see ourselves and find ourselves and with whom we ever find ourselves, if we are an angry person that is not controlling, slow, slowness, not being slow to anger, but instead blowing up all the time, the result will be contention everywhere we go. Also, Proverbs 17 and verse 1. Let's look there. We see a specific place that this contention will show up the most. Better a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. It's going to show up in your home, and it's going to destroy your home. Sinful anger will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your children and your relationship with them. It will destroy the peace and harmony of your home. So much so that the proverb says, it's better for you to have one little piece of rice on your plate at night with peace all around your table and harmony in your family than to have the most lavish buffet placed in front of you where there is strife 
everywhere we go, there will be damage behind us. And in some cases, apart from the mercy and grace and transforming power of the Spirit, which I believe in and which, it, it, which can happen, the damage will be irreparable. There will be some relationships that will be affected for the rest of our lives. They'll never get repaired. And we don't want to go down that path. So we will hurt ourselves. We'll hurt others. Now, where I'll spend the last part of the sermon, the second half here, is just going to be talking about how we overcome this. We've seen the pathway. We've seen the penalty. Now let's talk about the power for it. Where do we get the power for overcoming sinful anger? I think it's where we get the power for overcoming every sin. (laughs) Anger is one of them. Sinful anger is one of them. It's in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's in the gospel. As I was thinking this week, I received an email a couple of days ago. I received, most of you know, or some of you know, that I received these daily emails uh, from First Importance. And this, this it's, a, it's a basically a, a, a gospel quote, a quote about what Jesus has done for us, just sent to my email so I can read it every day and be reminded of what Paul says is of First Importance. And this one dealt with Christ as prophet, priest, and king. We're familiar with this. Christ's three offices. Christ comes as our prophet. He comes as the one who possesses all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, who embodies all of this. Jesus is the personification of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Every proverb we read relates to his life in some way and is exemplified in his life. In him are are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so he must instruct us. He, Jesus, is the father in Proverbs, instructing his sons. Jesus is the wisdom who is possessed by God from the foundations of the earth in the book of Proverbs. Jesus is the one who must instruct us. And it is off Jesus' tongue these Proverbs come to us. He is our prophet. He is the one who opens our eyes to see and reveals to us our true condition, what wisdom is, what folly is, and calls us into that path. So he's our prophet. He's also our priest. Jesus is the one who makes atonement for us. He is the one who purges our guilt. He offers his body as the sacrifice to God for our sins. He's entered into the holy place to make intercession for us. He's reconciled us to God. He's died so by expiating us of all of our sin and dying in our place and receiving in his body the penalty that is due us. And he presents our prayers and our sacrifices to God. He presents us acceptable to God by his merit. He's our priest. He's also our king. He receives us as returning rebels, grants us forgiveness, and rules over us by his love and with his law and defends all of us who trust in him from danger and death. He rules over all mankind and in us as believers, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. So as a prophet, he saves us from our ignorance and folly and foolishness by giving us wisdom and instructing us in the right way. As a priest, he saves us from our guilt and condemnation. And as a king, he saves us from, our dan- from danger and our foes. And it's this Christ in these offices that addresses us in our sinful anger. And I want to show you how. I want to show you how Christ, as our prophet, addresses us. Christ as our priest and Christ as our king. First of all, 
Christ is our prophet, addresses us. And this is all about how he helps us to understand and control our sinful anger. Each of the problems is addressed by Christ. So, first of all, how does Christ, as our prophet in the book of Proverbs, instruct us for how to deal with sinful anger? He tells us three things. He tells us to rule our spirit. He tells us to guard our mouth. And he tells us to watch our friendships. And I want to show us each one of those quickly. I'm not going to have you turn there. I'm just going to read the Proverbs to you since Brandon already read them to you uh, earlier. So first of all, he tells us to rule our spirit. Proverbs 16:32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 17:14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. What God wants is not no anger or blow anger, as we said, but slow anger. We must rule our spirits. It's a sign of great strength, Proverbs says, to control your anger. So what Jesus, as our prophet, tells us, just in wisdom, it says, when you feel like letting out your spirit and giving full vent, don't. Quit. And that, that's just wisdom. <laughs> it's just helpful, prophetic advice from our Savior. Rule your spirit. Sometimes what we need to do when we begin feeling angry is just quit. That's what Proverbs says. Just quit before it gets more heated. So as our prophet, he tells us to rule our spirit. As our prophet, he also tells us to watch our mouth. Anger, angry emotion and angry feelings are often accompanied by angry speech. So Proverbs 15.1 gives us the counsel. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Harsh word, harsh word, harsh word, harsh word, harsh word, harsh word. There's a really engaging conversation with a lot of understanding and wisdom happening. Harsh word, soft answer. That's wisdom. Don't say what you feel. Say what God wants you to say. Govern your speech by wisdom. We need to guard our mouths. And Romans 12, if I had time, read that this afternoon. Romans 12, 11 and following gives us the whole list of the things that are all included in that kindness and that soft answer that we're meant to have when we meet contention and strife. So we're to guard our mouths. Proverbs 17, 27 adds, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. So there it is, restraining our words, not saying. So sometimes... We need to just restrain what, we're gonna, what we want to say and not say it. But we need to do more than that. We don't just need to restrain it and walk away. Sometimes that's wise. Sometimes that's not wise. Sometimes what's wise is to restrain what you want to say and answer back with a soft answer that turns away wrath. And then watch your friendships. Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. There are certain kinds of people, and sinfully angry people are one of them, that you don't want to build a close friendship with. And Proverbs would discourage you from doing that. Proverbs would not discourage you from reaching out with the gospel to a sinfully angry person. Because that's all of us. <laughs> but a person who is given over to anger 
as a pattern of life, don't become close friends with that person. Watch your friendship because you will entangle yourself in a snare. So that's the wisdom of Christ our prophet, to rule our spirit, to guard our mouth, and to watch our friendship. So what about Christ our priest? Look at Proverbs 19, verse 11. Proverbs 19 and verse 11. This is fantastic. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. How do you get to the point where you are made sensible, where you're put in your right mind, where you have good sense, because that's what it says makes a person slow to anger? That's where you get the power to overcome blowing up having good sense when it becomes your glory to overlook an offense. Not when it becomes your, uh, your occasion for anger when an offense comes, but when it becomes your glory to overlook it. The question is, how do you get that? Where do you get the ability to overlook offenses and it become your glory to do so? From the gospel? From God? From what he has done for you in Christ. Because that's exactly what he's done. God has chosen. In his anger. At your sin. To not charge it against you. But to charge it to his son. He has chosen to overlook. Our many offenses. And charge them to Jesus. God's anger. At sin was expressed. But it was expressed. For our well being. And not in us. Once and for all in the past, God set us free from ever experiencing his anger against our sins. In steadfast love, he freely offered his innocent son to bear the wrath deserved by us. So God's anger was directed in our, in our past at Jesus out of love for us. And God's anger is directed in our present experience at our sin to disarm it of its power in our lives. His anger at sin is expressed for our well-being in the present. He deals continually with our indwelling sin by not seeking to to just extend it directly onto us, but to, to extinguish our sin, to target our sin through conviction. And then in the future, God will deliver us from the pain of others' sins. His anger at sin is going to be expressed for our well-being then, too, as he renders all accounts zero. And balanced, because every sin that has ever been committed against us will be paid for, either in hell or if they came to Christ in this life, were paid on the cross. So God's ang- the point is we see in the gospel God's anger directed for our good. And as we experience his grace, and that washes over our hearts again, causing us to see again the many offenses that he has forgiven, we are able to respond with much more grace and kindness to others, and it will become our glory to overlook such offenses. The gospel is the only thing that's going to make us sane. <laughs> it's the only thing that's going to put us in our right mind. It's the only thing that's going to give us good sense. Finally, Christ the King. Christ our King. And this is where I want to give a more extended illustration in closing, because it's, I know I've been talking in abstract. I've been talking proverbially. I haven't been doing a lot of, all right, let's, let's nail down here and look at an example. We're going to do that in just a second. But Christ is our King. He is the one who rules over us. 
and instructs us with his love and his law and causes us to walk in his ways, defends us from danger and our enemies. And I want to apply this to a very specific situation in which all of us are tempted to be angry, I'm sure, unless you have way more grace than this pastor has. Let's take a common situation. Traffic. Okay? In our car, behind the wheel. You're running late for an appointment. All right? Everybody with me? The appointment's very important. And you live in a larger city than Owensboro. But even Owensboro could have its traffic issues too. But I'm talking about a larger city. You're late for an appointment. Headed out of town. Running late. Running behind. You're stuck on the highway and you haven't moved in 10 minutes. You're, you're 20 minutes away from the building. You've got 30, or sorry, your appointment's in 20 minutes. You're 30 minutes away. And you're stuck in traffic and haven't moved for 10. Irritating situation. Difficult situation. How are you responding? Snarling? Grunting? Disgust? Frustration? Dismay? Unhappiness? Tension? All of the above? Let's step back and and see how Christ our King influences this situation. All right, so you have to step back. You have to ask yourself a series of questions, or at least begin thinking this kind of process. You don't have to ask these specific questions, but let's just, let's just analyze this whole situation, okay, and what's fueling this. What's the situation? You're being tempted to anger because you're late. That's the situation. The traffic is secondary. It's a circumstance. How are you reacting Are you mentally cursing the transportation department or verbally? Are you playing out scenarios for excuses to the person you're meeting? Are you being self-recriminatory, that is, accusing yourself? Why didn't I leave earlier? Why didn't I take a different route? I always do this. Are you questioning God? Where's God in all this? Will the person be upset with me? What's going to happen? Will I lose the sale? If that's what the appointment is for. What am I going to miss that might set me back or add stress to my already stressful day? Is he going to start and then I'm going to miss stuff and I'm going to be, feel awkward walking in and I've got, got to, what looks are going to be on their faces? You slam your fist on the dashboard. You grip the steering wheel. You creep up to the bumper ahead. Somebody wants to get in your lane. You take their, your vengeance out on them by creeping up and. Is that followed by an obscene gesture? (laughs) Or once the traffic clears, do you just hit the gas and just floor it? Drive like a maniac to show how insensitive everyone else was to your sovereignty. So what are your motives? Those are the ways that it's expressing itself. You say, what's going on in my heart here? What cravings and false beliefs are feeding this? This anger is coming out of the heart. It's not being caused by the situation. It's being contributed to by the situation, but the situation is drawing out what's in your heart. I want to go where I want to go when I want to go there. Didn't God get my script this morning? That's plain old pride. That's what's motivating that. That's that lofty view of yourself. What will people think of me? That's what's motivating your anger. 
What's he going to? What's the boss going to think? What are my coworkers going to think? What's the look on their faces? You know what that is? That's fear of man. Fear of man is fueling your anger. One sin is fueling another sin. So then you think, okay, all right, hold on, okay. Fear of man is driving this. Pride's driving this. Okay, what's what are going to be the consequences if I give into this? Okay, uh, if I if I accidentally charge forward and bump somebody else as they're trying to get into my lane, well, I'm going to get an earful of somebody else's hostility as I lightly bump them while they're trying to get into my lane, and I'm probably going to incur a 250 charge on my insurance deductible. So I've out money and a relationship. I've caused relational destruction and financial destruction. Emotional. I'm guilty. I feel tense. Physical sometimes. Start to get a stomach ache. Start to get a headache. Tension headache. Something like that. Start sweat. Sweat through your nice suit. Or whatever. Or it could be, I mean, God forbid, it could be fatal. You're... You, you finally get around somebody, able to get out traffic, pull, hit, the, hit the gas, and boom, didn't see somebody, and they clobber you. So all those could be the consequences. And then, so you start, and all this is just, this is not like a, a checklist of questions. This is more the disposition of a heart that wants to control this. You see the situation, you see what what you're feeling and why you're feeling it, and what will happen if you give into it? And then you start to allow Christ to inform this. Say, who is God? He's present. He's control of this. Even this situation. God is extremely relevant when you're struck in traffic. He put you there. His sovereignty led you into that particular situation at that time. He is present and up to good in your life. What is his purpose, ultimately? To make you into the image of Jesus Christ. To make a person slow to anger and full of trust. That's what God's after. And he's willing to put you in that situation to make you a different kind of person. So you say, okay, what is my attitude right now revealing about what I truly love? Do I truly love God's ways and God's work in my life? And that's my purpose and that's my joy and that's what I want. Or do I truly love my way and my purposes and my goals? See how convicting this becomes? You start to see that actually what I'm doing is I'm trying to take lordship back. And I want to be the Lord. And I want to call the shots. And I want to be the king. And I love myself and my kingship. And then we confess our desires to God. We confess, Lord, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm behaving. I want to be king. I want to determine my own schedule and I don't want interference because I want I want to contend with you for your sovereignty and I want you to read my script and do what I say confess that is sin ask for forgiveness believe the gospel and ask for wisdom for how to respond and the power to do it and the result of all this will be the imparting of good sense it will be coming to your senses and being put in your right mind at least partially and at the simplest level you take a deep breath you relax you trust that God's in control, and you become a charitable, courteous driver. You let a couple cars in. What does it matter? I'm late, and God is great. <laughs> Traffic jam's no longer a dog-eat-dog -dog battle. You offer thanks to God. 
You plan what you'll say to the person that you've stood up. You're not going to be anxious and make excuses. And you're not going to be blustering with irritation. Rather, you're going to go in and you're going to state simple facts. I got up late. I thought it would take me less time. I got stuck in traffic. I should have left earlier. I'm sorry. I'm glad to be here. When I get a chance, can I get what I missed? I'm sorry I've inconvenienced you all. And you just own up to it right there. And you're able to do that because no longer are you crippled by the fear of man. No longer are you crippled by what other people think because you've been refreshed by the gospel. And what are the consequences of all this? No dented fender, no money paid out, no speeding ticket, and other things. Somebody else was kept from stumbling into sinful anger and murder because you didn't. Nobody else, because you didn't murder somebody in your heart, somebody else didn't murder you in their heart. So one less sin on the earth. I experienced the grace of God in extricating me from my sin and misery. I tasted the joy of heaven in a traffic jam. And perhaps the person I'm meeting with is so encouraged by how I'm responding. If they're a Christian, they begin sharing a struggle with me, and I'm able to comfort them with the comfort I've received from God. Imagine that. Or the person is an an unbeliever, and they see your peace, and they see the fact that they're saying, whoa, that wasn't the way I responded last time I was late to this meeting. What's up? And then you have a wide open door to share about God's grace. Brothers and sisters, if God teaches us how to handle traffic jams, we can handle anything. We can handle anything. And that's how the gospel works itself into us in a deeper way, even in the situation of a traffic jam. And that comes from that scenario comes from a very helpful man by the name of David Pallison. So The pathway is solved by the power. Jesus, instead of having this lofty view of ourselves, we get the wisdom of the Bible that encourages us to take a much lower view of ourselves, and we're convinced of our sinfulness in order to do so. And then Christ the priest comes along and says, your love affair with sin, I'm going after. I'm forgiving you of the penalty of it, and I'm going to free you from the power of it. I'm going to work in your life by the Holy Spirit. And your lack of self-control By my kingship, I'm going to move in and help you. That's our king. That's our savior. And that's how we make progress against sinful anger. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Proverbs, the wisdom that they provide. And thank you most of all for Jesus, the wisdom that is personified in the book of Proverbs, the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In his name we pray. Amen.